Hej og velkommen til Delte Meninger. Det er en podcast om marketing med mening. Vi serverer de vigtigste tendenser, de store udfordringer og de rigtige løsninger inden for marketing, uden så meget fluff og store armbevægelser. Så vil du have nye perspektiver på marketing, så hold dig væk fra pauseknappen. I dag der kan vi byde velkommen til Jui fra Make Marketing Magic i Holland. Jui han er her i forbindelse med vores masterclass om salg og marketing, hvor han er en af oplægsholderne. Og så har vi lige heddet ham ind til en lille snak om, hvordan marketing og salg hænger sammen. Velkommen til. Welcome to this podcast. It's actually the first one we are running here at Gammelbys. And today we will meet Jui from Make Marketing Magic in Holland. Yep, happy and, to be here. Yeah, thank you. And can you just start to tell a little bit about yourself and the work you do? Sure. So my name is Jury Kuper, and I'm with Make Marketing Magic in the Netherlands. And what we do is we we help typically IT companies grow, um, and we do that by implementing smart marketing um, in their everyday business. Nice. And you're here today because we want to talk about both sales and uh, actually also marketing. And just let's start rolling a bit back, and we want to talk about like why, um, how has the world changed today, at, at a marketing perspective? Well, I, I, you know, I get the question a lot. I think that's an interesting question because um, when you look at the world that is changing, it's not just from a marketing perspective, right? I think the world is changing as a whole. I mean, uh, you wouldn't think it, you wouldn't think that it's the case if you talk to business owners, but. Uh, in fact, over 50% of the world today is actually under the age of 30. And as a result, I mean, most college students, they've never licked a post stamp in their life, which is interesting because most business owners, that's something that they don't realize. But with those people, they're going to be calling the shots. They're going to be the decision makers in the next couple of years. So if you want to reach these people now, you want to understand them, you want to get in their head, you need to talk their language. You need to understand what drives them. You need to use the channels that they use in order to be successful. So there's um there's 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 a lot to do. Yeah. So because of the world because of that changing world, there's a lot that most companies need to change in their market approach in order to be successful. Ah, okay. And and these changes, what can what can that be? So it, it, when you look at things from um with, with a different just just to give you a different perspective, right? I mean, when you look at the top three countries in the world, in, in, in numbers, in population, right? Not by square mileage, but just mm, in people each, exactly there, population. Yeah. So you have uh, the US comes in at number three. I think they have like 300, 330 million people living there today. Then you have like India, that's number two, the number two country in the world, 1.3 billion people in the world. And then almost with 1.4 billion people, number one country in the world in terms of sheer population is China. Now, keep in mind, those countries, it took them hundreds, in, in, that's the case of the U.S., right, or, or, or thousands of years to get to those numbers. Now, when you look at the past 15 years, you have all these new types of media that, that, that are now uh, roaming, uh, roaming the Internet, right? You have Twitter, right? There are 500 million tweets sent out daily. That's more than there are people in the United States. You have like um, LinkedIn. There are 467 million active users on LinkedIn today. Uh, then you have this company called Tencent. This is an, a, a Chinese company. Um, they're also the uh, the company that's behind Activision Blizzard. They have an active stake in, in that gaming company. And uh, they're also the company behind WeChat, right? They have a billion active users today and they're, they're 
they're growing massively, right? And then you have uh, WhatsApp. WhatsApp has actually more active users than any single country in the world in it, it, uh, has has residents, right? They have wow. 1.5 billion active users. That's a lot. It's it's crazy. And then YouTube, for example, there are 300,000 new videos added daily. That's a billion hours of content that's consumed each and every day. And then you know to top it off, I think it's it's still it still is. Most people wonder about it, but it actually still is the most active, uh, actively used uh, social medium today, which is Facebook. It has 2.23 billion active users. And if you if you compare that to those countries, that all happened pretty much overnight. It's, it's something that happened the last couple of years. So if you want to capitalize on on using all these channels then there are a lot of things that you should be doing differently today um, than what you're used to doing, than, than the things that you did 10, maybe up to 10 years ago. So, so today you, de- you, you definitely need to do things a little bit ah. different. Okay, so if I'm a company like, and I, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, I want to do something, where should I start? Like, how, how, can, I, how can I take these things happening in the world into my business and do something about it so I can attract people and I can you know, target the one that I want, I get my clients, what can I do? Yeah, I think, well, to, to be fair, I think most companies are, are giving it a good shot, right? So they're trying to use, um, well, LinkedIn, I think LinkedIn is a good example, right? I think most most people, most companies would agree that LinkedIn is, is a medium that's being used by professionals for professional meanings, right? So the, 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 what you want to do is you want to make sure that you use LinkedIn to expand your business, to grow your business. But the reality is, I don't know if you have a LinkedIn account, but if mm. you you do, well, if yeah. you look at your LinkedIn account, probably my, my assumption, never assume, but my assumption is going to be that if you look at your timeline, that there are going to be a lot of messages in your timeline from people just shouting stuff yeah. and not engaging their their own followers, their, their own base of followers. Mm. So just pu- pushing things out to everybody at the at the it, media and not thinking about like who do I want to talk to. Exactly. So 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 so. Most companies are giving it a shot. Most companies are trying it today, but um, unfortunately, they're not succeeding yet. Because one of the things, so the thing that you that you should definitely start with is, and it sounds a little bit weird because a lot of companies are afraid that you're singling out companies and then leaving the rest behind. But you should really choose who your clients should be. So what you want to do is you want to um, have a very well-defined target audience, mm. and on top of that, within that target audience, you want to identify the, the, the buyer persona, the, the key decision maker within that target audience that is going to sign a contract with you. That's what you want to and do. And can you can you tell me a little bit about like this buyer persona? Like um, how do I find out who, who that person is? Yeah, so, so we're talking in a business to business environment now, right? Yeah. So, so if, if you target companies, then there are people within those companies that you target that are going to do business with you, right? So. Now, some, some people will say, well, I don't really have a buyer persona in, in my target audience because there are like 17 people that those 17 people are involved in the decision-making process. And while it may be true that those 17 people influence the buying decisions, there's one of them that can say no when all of the other 16 say yes, and then the deal won't go down. Or when he says no, well, everybody, well, he said yes, well, everybody else says no, and he still has sort of this veto, right? So the buyer persona, that's that one person that makes the final decision uh, when it comes to your um, uh, when it comes to your proposition. Mm. And so what you want to do is you want to understand what keeps him up at night. 
you know, what, what, what are some of the worries that he has? Um, and, and the way to do that is to, to look them up online. And then we're, we were talking about LinkedIn earlier. You can just take a good look at your existing client base, pick out the five clients mm-hmm. that you're really excited about, and then uh, identify the buyer persona within those five companies, look them up, and see what it is that they're communicating. What, what are they passionate about? What are they communicating about? And if they're um, a member of certain LinkedIn groups, then one of the things that you can do is you can take a closer look at those groups and see what the trending topics are in those groups. And if you're lucky, you might even find that your buyer persona is actively participating in those discussions. And that's just gold right there because that gives you like an, an actual idea of what's going on in his mind. Hmm. And that will help you I, uh, come up with the content that you need in order to persuade them to uh, take a closer look at your, comp- at your company and your proposition. Yes, because that's the next step when you have the buyer persona, right? The content, like you have to find out what to, to say to this guy and when you have it, you have to make the content. Yeah, exa- ex- you're exactly right. So the, the whole idea about understanding who your target audience is and who your buyer persona is, is that you're going to be able to create content that's actually relevant. And that's why you do that buyer persona bit, right? Because I, I, a lot of times I, I get companies saying, right, all my clients come in through word of mouth. Do I really need a buyer persona? And I think the reality is that if you're not actively looking to gain market share and, and, and grow your business uh, through marketing, and if all of your clients come in through word of mouth, then don't worry about any of that, then you're, then you're probably good, right? Uh, the thing is, however, if you want to actively go after a piece of the market, you desperately need that buyer persona. I, you know, I always say, if you, um, if you get a letter that's being sent to your house, like not, not email, right? The physical mail slot. Yeah, the in your one door. you got like years ago. You got a lot of them. You don't, you don't get you... them anymore. No, only the emails. <laughs> All right. Well, those physical letters, right? So you, we used to get them a lot. That would say uh, on the envelope, it would say to the resident of this house, to the owner of this house, that sort of stuff. In, 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 in imagine you getting those letters and just how keen are you on opening up those letters? It's, it's, it's probably, you know, you're probably not going to want to open them. No, because it could also be my neighbor. Like, yeah, could or, be yeah or th- probably something that is not relevant enough for you, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to, but the same thing goes, so if you're a company and, and you have a target audience and a buyer persona, you can be way more relevant. So you don't have to address your messaging to everybody. Because now you can talk about the problems that you're trying to solve for that specific group of individuals. And that's a lot more powerful. Ah, yeah. So so the thing you say is that we have to be relevant. We have to, to stay relevant. And, yeah. and how do we do that? Exactly, right? So, so, so number one, you have to be relevant. And, and then staying relevant is actually really, really hard. So it, it actually takes a lot of studying. So, so there are a couple of things that you can do. You can actually ask your buyer personas what's on their mind. So a lot of companies don't do this, but it's actually something that you can do. You can ask your buyer person what's on their mind, what are some of the things that, that you're struggling with. And you have to understand that that might be different in six months. So it's not something that you do today, you set it in stone and you leave it there for the next five years. No, it's a dynamic process, right? So there might be things going on in the market of your potential clients that causes that causes them to, 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 to overthink their business and see, all right, so. I don't know, six months ago, this was keeping me up. But today I actually mm-hmm. have this whole set of different problems that I need help with. And if you're the guy, if you're, if you're the, co- the company that can help them out, then that can be very powerful. Yeah. So the company has to like stay in touch and always like yes. searching what are my 
how do i stay relevant yeah how do i stay relevant so that's actually a good key point to take back home that you have to stay relevant yes to your buyer persona i guess don't go off your gut just do the research do the math ask your buyer persona Mm. uh, whether or not you're relevant Mm. do you think that companies today are a bit scared about only focusing on one buyer persona or yeah, and, and I, of course, definitely. So there are a lot of companies out there that say, well, if, if I focus on one buyer persona, does that mean I'm, I'm, I'm missing out on the rest? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, the, while the reality is that if you're trying to focus on everybody, nobody's going to want to listen. It's kind of like that, that, let, that envelope that is addressed to everybody and then nobody wants to see what's inside, right? So you, you don't want to be that. And then it might, you know, it, it might be that it might turn out that you have four or five or 16 different value propositions um, that, and, and you're trying to reach, I don't know, four or five or 16 different buyer personas. That might be, so you might have multiple buyer personas, but mm. you have to, you, you gotta do your research. You gotta uh, make sure that you, that you, down in the nitty gritty, right? You gotta do your research. You gotta define your buyer persona just right. And as it turns, if, if you have multiple value props, then you might have multiple buyer personas. Ah, uh, so you, do, you don't have to like, throw other people away you just have to divide them exactly into the persona so you can target them specific ways exactly yeah. and, and, and don't think of it as as like throwing throwing away the other no throwing away the companies that are not your target audience today and and again that's something that's not set in stone right because you're, you're after a target audience and a buyer persona because the profit margins are good or because you like working with a certain type of companies but but six months from now that might be different so your buyer persona is not something that is set in stone either Hmm. and all this work is that happening in the marketing department that's a good question this is usually something that the execution takes place in the marketing department Mm -hmm. Um, but really what you want to do is you want to let the business make decisions about who you want to target because at the end of the day so everything starts with a commercial plan right and one of the things that i get a lot um, is that I, I got a lot of these marketing directors coming up to me and they ask me, so Yudi, can you please take a look at my marketing plan? Mm. And I'm always willing to do that, by the way, right? It's, it, it's not, uh, that's fine. I, I want to take a look at these marketing plans. But one of the first questions that I ask is, sure, but can I also take a look at your sales plan then? And why is that? Well, because um, I think at the end of the day, your sales plan should be leading because in your sales plan, it tells you the amount of leads that your marketing department needs to generate. And if you don't have that, then your marketing plan as a standalone doesn't make any sense. But that's that's exactly why I'm telling you this because um, a lot of times these marketing, so what I'll ask for the sales plan and then they'll tell me, no, I think you got it wrong. I'm the marketing director. Uh, I don't do sales. Uh, I only have my own. And exactly. You can go there to get the other one, but we are not connected yet. Or, exactly. Yes. Or even worse, sometimes they tell me, yeah, well, my marketing plan is done, but the sales plan is still under development and, and it's being built as we speak. And I think that can't be the case, right? You can't have a finished marketing plan if you don't have a finished sales plan that tells you how many leads you need in order to be successful. So it starts with the sales department. It starts with the business side of things and then you move along. And out of that comes comes the, the, the set of goals and the set of KPIs that you need in your marketing department. Hmm. So practically, how should they work together, the two things? Yeah, I, I, um, so ideally um, in your company, you have somebody that oversees both sales and marketing, and then you might have a marketing manager and a sales manager, but ideally 
um, you have somebody that, that does both. Because one of the things that we see today is that marketing um, turns into somewhat of an island, right? It turns into this 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 thing with their own uh, their own goals, their own KPIs, and um, as that goes on for for, for too long, they they turn into this communications department rather than a marketing department, and they start worrying about the colors and the logo and you know where the logo should be on the website. Well, in reality, I think if you use marketing to grow your business, it's it's the, the number of leads that you generate and the quality of those leads that should be leading. Mm. So that's why you should do it because of the leads then. One of the things. Exactly. That's what I believe. I yeah. believe that that you should have a, a good marketing engine in place because you want to generate leads. Mm. And what is a good lead then? I, that's an interesting question as well. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, it, it depends a little bit on the on the company, right? But um, a lead can have various stages and, and those stages are pretty much defined by the uh, the journey that a prospect or a lead takes from being unaware of the fact that he has a problem that gets solved by your proposition all the way to that point where he actually makes an active buying decision, signs your contract and pays your bills accordingly. So the, the stages that he goes through from being unaware, first he has to be aware of the fact that he has a problem, then he needs to uh, move on to, to the, the orienting stage where he's going to figure out whether or not he's going to do something about the problem. Um, then he needs to figure out, all right, uh, who am I going to do that with? So he makes this a sort of vendor selection and then they, you know, they're, they're going to make a buying decision and, and negotiate terms and conditions and all, all the good stuff. Yeah. So uh, a lead pretty much is somebody that your sales department can follow up on. But the, but the really important question or the question behind the question is at what stage in their cycle going from being unaware of the fact that they have a problem all the way up to where they make the purchasing decision, yeah. where should your sales department play an active role? And the reality is that that highly depends on the average value of the order that your sales department scores. Because the higher the average value of the order intake, the more likely it is that your sales department comes in at, a, at an earlier stage of that cycle. And the lower the average value of your order intake is, the more sense it makes to have your sales department come in at a later stage of that cycle. Mm. So you have to find the right space. Exactly right. So, so usually, when when you look at that process, you have you have leads, and then a lead. If if they um, on your website, there's a bunch of things that you can do to uh, prioritize your leads, right? And in, in, in at, at a certain stage, that lead becomes a marketing qualified lead, and then um, your sales department. What they'll do is they'll see whether or not that marketing qualified lead is worth their time. And if it is, it becomes a sales qualified lead. Mm. And then if it is a sales qualified lead. And then sales is really going to invest their time in that specific lead. And then if it turns out that there's act, there, there's an opportunity in there, it becomes a sales accepted lead. So what you have to do is you have to, you have to fiddle a bit. You have to figure out where in that cycle, where in the buying cycle, mm-hmm. your lead becomes a marketing qualified lead for you, for your marketing department, for your sales department. Ah, okay. So they can work together. Yeah, and they then, have so yeah they have, they have to, to obviously. So. And then you're probably not gonna get it right the first time. So what you want to do is you want to make sure there's a feedback loop between your sales department and your marketing department, giving back the feedback that your that your sales department accumulates over time, so you can tweak the process. Uh, so so you can tweak all of your marketing processes and making sure that uh, your leads become a marketing qualified lead right at the time where they're there for your specific average value of order intake. Mm. 
Hmm. And what if I have like the sales sales department in my company coming to me every time and saying, oh, I I spoke to those and those and those, and they just keep saying, no, we don't want to talk to you. No, we don't want to talk to you. What can we do about that? Because we have the leads, but we also want them we want them to buy something, right? Yeah, I, I think that this is something that's that's the eternal struggle, right? So the marketing department, they generate the leads and then the sales department is unhappy with the quality of the leads. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so, I, so there, there are, I think there's a bunch of stuff that you can do, but I think primarily it breaks down to two different things. So on the one hand, you have um, uh, the quality of the leads that, that, that you're working on and, and then you might say, all right, so maybe it's too soon. Maybe we're, we're giving these leads at a too early stage to our sales department. That might be the case, right? Um, but the reality is, so what a lot of marketing agencies, what a lot of marketing departments do is say, all right, so then um, we should hold off on passing these leads to our sales department. While the reality is, um, that's not that's not the order where you should do things, right? Earlier we said you want to make your sales department leading, not your marketing department. You should turn it around. Mm-hmm. You should look at the intake capacity of your sales department. So, for example, if your sales department can, um, I don't know, work on five leads per day, if that's the case, and you only score two marketing qualified leads per day, uh, then it really doesn't make sense to to, to, to turn that back to to dial that back to one. Um, what you want to do is you just want to give them the top five leads of that day, whether or not they're marketing qualified by your standards, and then pass them on to your sales department. So that's that's the one thing. On yeah. the other hand, it, um, if that's the case, then one of the things that you want to do is you want to improve the quality of the leads that you're scoring. And, and, and um, the way to do that is to either go back to the drawing board and draw up a new buyer persona, or if you got that right, then you're not... Uh, if you got the right buyer persona, but you're finding that they're not, um, uh, you, you can't find them, you need to broaden your scope, broaden your reach, and make sure you 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 uh, talk to uh, online. That is right, not not physically talk to them, but you talk that you reach out to more of of these buyer personas that you defined in the first place. I know that you guys that make make marketing magic are talking a lot about radar marketing. Can you try to explain a little bit more about what's what that is? Yeah, sure. So uh, one of the things that we found, and we actually did a lot of research, and, and, and in fact, there's a lot of research out there that you can use today. Uh, so we took a closer look at how much time a sales professional allocates to actual sales activities. And uh, I got to be honest, when I first saw those results, um, it, it blew my mind. Because as it turns out, uh, only 25 to 30% of the time of a sales professional is actually allocated to doing sales activities. So the majority of their time is actually being spent on management stuff, um, the administrative burden, uh, personal stuff, and and, and all the rest of it. Um, So at first you might think, well, that's not too bad, right? It's still 25 to 30%. But then if you take a closer look, you'll find that out of the time that is being spent on sales activities, 80% 80% of that time is allocated to the wrong prospects. Mm. 80%. That's kind of shocking to hear, right? The number is... Yeah. 80% is a lot. Yeah. And, and, and the reason why... So these companies, they either don't have the budget. Uh, they're not... The, you're, you're talking to the wrong person within the company. Um, they don't have a need or they don't have a need right now. And, and that makes up 80% of the time that is being spent 
on sales activities. And that's, that's 80% of the prospects that most salespeople are talking to. So we figured, all right, there's got to be a way around that. There's got to be something that we can do. And we decided that one, the one thing that we wanted to do is we want to make sure that you as a company can spend your most valuable asset, your most valuable resource um, when it comes to bringing in new clients, which is your sales time. We want to make sure you spend that where it makes most sense, which is with the companies that are in market today. And we, what we did, we designed this, this methodology and we call that radar marketing. And the concepts actually, it's quite simple. Um, most companies, what they do, they go to networking events, for example, right? So, but the reality is that nobody goes to a networking event to buy. Uh, everybody goes there to sell something, yeah. right? So the chance that you're running, that you're going to this networking event and you're running into your buyer persona, right? It will, that, those chances are probably slim. But then on top of that, making sure that he's in market today and he wants to buy whatever it is that you're selling today, those chances... I don't know. They're, they're probably close to zero. Yeah, because everybody wants to sell something else. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but but yet we keep we keep doing that. So we figured, all right. So if that's not the way to go, then what should we be doing? And if you look at things, if you if you have the right target audience, if you have the right buyer persona, um, and you can't sell them something today, what if you stretch that period up to three years? Right, in three years. So would you be able to sell something in the next three years to that specific individual? And um, so what we did the research and, and the research suggests it depends a little bit on your value proposition, but if you have the right target audience and the right buyer persona, there's a 50 to 100% chance that your target audience, so that means your buyer persona, is going to run into a problem that gets solved by your proposition. A 50 to 100% chance. Within the three years, right? Within the three yeah. years. Yeah, not today. Not within today, but within yes. the three years, yeah. So if you look at an average addressable market for a specific, for, for an, an average company has an addressable market of roughly 10,000 companies. So if you look at, um, it's a little bit different for each and every company, but if you're a company, you have an, an average addressable market of 10,000 companies. And so in, in, in the area where you service them, right? So if that's the case, and we're talking about worst case scenarios here, that means that at least half of them, at least those 50%, so that's 5,000, 5,000 companies, your target audience, 5,000 companies in the next three years are gonna have a problem that gets solved by your proposition. And, ah, and that's a good thing to know. These, these are really good things to know. And, on, and on top of that, if that's the case, right? So what does that mean for this year? Well, unless you have a business that's, um, where seasonality is a thing, that means that this year, one third of that 5,000, so roughly 16 or 1,700 uh, of those companies are, are going to um, be encountering that problem. Now, what you want to do, obviously, is you want to make sure that by the time that the need arises within them, that you're there. The only thing is uh, you have two problems to solve, right? So the first problem is you don't know who they are mm. because we don't even know who those 1,600 or 1,700 are out of the entire batch of 10,000. Yeah, just know they're there. We, we, the only, exactly. We only know they're there, right? So that's the first thing that we need. To, and, and the second problem that we have is we don't know when because a year is still a long time. It's, it could be two weeks from now. It could be nine months from now or anything in between. So the way to solve that is to not go with the things that you don't know, go with the things that you do know. And what you do know... Yeah, what do you know? Right. We know for a fact, and you do that too, right? There are two things that you, you'll definitely do when you become in market. The first thing is you talk to your peers, right? So this is my problem. How do you, you know, is that something you yeah. recognize? How do you solve that? And the second thing that you'll do is you'll look online to see whether that wonderful story you heard still holds up. 
right? So those are the things that you do. Now, at that second stage, that's where you want to be there, right? But because we don't know when that's going to happen, we just need to make sure that we're always there on the channels mm. that are used by our target audience, our buyer persona. So by the time that the need arises within them, we're there as well. So that's why we call it radar marketing. So as soon as the radar is being turned on, we make a blip on their radar. And the way that we do that is by having good content. We talked about that earlier, right? Yeah. Good content that is tailor-made, unique for that specific buyer persona. So it's not about us. It's not about the features. It's not about functionality of the product. No, it's about um, something that your buyer persona is going to be able to relate to because as we mentioned earlier, relevance is the key to everything. And how do we get people to talk about us? If people are talking to the friends, they're talking to colleagues, how do we... Yeah, they're probably not going to be talking about us, right? Because unless we did a really good job and it's word of mouth. And, and we, so they're probably not going to be talking about us. They're probably going to be talking about some other solution that is being offered by our competitors. But when they're going to, um, when they're going to look online, that's when we want to be there. Mm. Just to make sure that they, they got us to com- as a good comparison. Yeah, okay. So now we have that content you're talking about. What should we do with the content? Yeah, so the content, that's oh, that's a good question, actually. So the content that we create, the first thing that you want to do is you want to put it up on your website because that's the hub of your online communication. But then, right, so your your buyer persona is not, we need to give them a reason to go there, right, to consume the content. So then what you do, you send out snippets, teasers and triggers of that content and you, you, you push that onto the channels where you know he's going to be. Um, you can use your, your corporate social media accounts to, to reach your first degree network. Um, and, and, and also what works really well, obviously for your first degree networks, email, right? You can email everybody you're allowed to email, but then also, you know, when it comes to the second and the third degree network, which I think is actually not a good word because it's not your network yet. It's other people's network. Uh, but there might be some interesting companies there, right? So what you want to do is you want to use advertising to reach those people in, um, um, if you're if this is new to you and you're starting out, there are pretty much two ways to go, uh, or or you can combine them. It's a search engine like Google or Bing, and uh, or social media like Facebook or LinkedIn. Mm. And it depends a little bit on your strategy, uh, what you're going to use. I mean, the good thing of using a search engine is people are actively looking for your solution. Obviously, that's why they're in Google or in Bing. Um, the only downside is that there's going to be a lot of waste. Right, so fifty to ninety percent of the people that you're going to reach are not going to be your target audience. Mm. Um, and if you're saying, oh, "All right, I don't want that," then you can use social, paid social. You can actually spend money on LinkedIn to pinpoint the people that you're trying to reach, and there's going to be zero waste. Mm. You can do that on Facebook as well. The only thing is, since they're not actively looking for your proposition today, you need to nurture them a little bit. Uh, so it takes a little bit of a different strategy. So it depends on your commercial goals and it depends on your strategy what what is best uh, but that's what you should do and then obviously you can you can combine them and you can do you can add some other stuff into the mix as well but if you're starting out those are the things that you want to do and do you have any advice for how we should write things when we push things out on linkedin or facebook is there any form something that works better than yeah well i i think what what really appeals to people is if you have authentic content so it should it should be relevant for the people that that you're trying to reach but also it should be you should be reflected in it Mm. 
in, so if you're if you're outgoing, make sure that your messaging is outgoing because you don't want so people expect certain things of you, want, you know, of your of your online presence, right? Based off your online presence, they expect certain things. And then when they contact you and they find something completely different, now that's something obviously that you don't want to do because th then there's a mismatch between yeah. their expectations and what they get delivered. So I think authenticity is probably the best tip. If this is something that you're going to do, make sure you're authentic. Thank you so much. It was great to have you here. My pleasure. Det var så vores snak med Jui. Hvis du har nogle bestemte emner, som du godt kunne tænke dig at høre mere om, så del din mening med os, så tager vi det op. Tak fordi I lyttede med.